Hi, this is Sarit Schwetzer, and welcome to the It Is Taught podcast, a podcast devoted to the teachings of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi, as recorded in his most famous work, the Tanya. My hope for this show is to make these teachings accessible and relatable to the average person, regardless of prior Jewish education or affiliation. The episodes follow the prescribed daily study portions and are meant to serve as practical lessons in how to live your life as your true self and develop an authentic and powerful relationship with your creator. I have personally experienced the effects the study of this work has had on me, and I'm excited to share what I can of this knowledge with you. So please join me on this journey of learning, self-growth, and connection with your source. Hi, and welcome to the It Is Top podcast. This is episode 432 for the 6th of Shvat in a regular year. So yesterday's episode, we it was all about the uniqueness of God, how God alone has the capacity to create things, yet not be affected by his creation at all, to remain totally unchanged by his creation. And the second aspect of the uniqueness of God in terms of his creation is that when he creates things, these created beings are totally and 100% dependent upon him eternally for their existence. And we contrasted this with humanity, with uh, with the way that us mortals create things uh, in both of those aspects. So on the one hand, first of all, when we create things, whether we're talking about a composer composing a piece of music or a carpenter who makes a table or a chair or something like that, first of all, we're affected by what we do. We're affected by our creation. So anytime we create anything, we're going to be affected by it in some way. We spoke about how archaeologists have actually found evidence of this in looking at, you know, bones of, of old, uh, of people who existed, who lived a long time ago, and they can actually tell by their bone structure what their professions were, really pointing to the, the fact that we are very much affected by the actions that we do, by the work that we do, by the creations that we make. And the second way that we're different than God is in the sense that our creations can ultimately have their own existence other than us after we leave them. Because we're not creating them something from nothing. We're creating them something from something. So thus, uh, when we, you know, when we have, you know, when Mozart wrote down his, his pieces on sheets of music, this music can now exist and can be played for generations to come way after Mozart passed away. So they're not dependent on Mozart the man anymore. So too, if a person makes a table or a chair, the person can move to the other side of the world, but yet that table and chair still exists independently of the person. So this is really yesterday, we really spoke about this contrast between people and between God in, in these ways. So as we've mentioned before, it's impossible for us to really understand God fully because God is so different than who we are. God is really unique. There is nothing really like God. Nevertheless, at the same time, perhaps paradoxically speaking, we know that we were created in the image of God, which means that if we want to try to understand God, if we want to on some level uh, connect with God in some way, because how do you connect with anybody is through trying to understand them, then we have to look into ourselves, which means that on some level, we actually do have these elements within ourselves that we can relate to. So that's what today's uh, episode is going to be about. In today's episode, we're going to be looking at the second half of this chapter, chapter 20 in Lukutea Marm, in which we're going to actually explore a, a way by which that we can actually, on a human level, relate on some level to this aspect of creation, to this, to this way of having 
some created something that first of all does not cause us to change and also to create something that is totally and utterly dependent upon us and in order to get there in order to understand this it's actually gonna we're actually gonna revolve this conversation around the concept of desire around what it is that we want and how it is that we get what we want so it's an interesting thing. We kind of take it for granted, you know, like you want a sandwich, you want a cup of water, you want a new dress and you go get that dress. So what's actually happening there? What is the process that happens? So the Ultra is actually going to break down this process today for us. And we're going to see through this process, how through understanding this process, it can actually give us a little bit of an insight into the way that God operates, but on a much grander scale, um, as we'll see. So before we get into the text, let's just explore this a little bit, just on a simple level. When you think about what it is that you want, you know, I just bought a new handbag today, actually. And why did I buy this handbag? Well, simply put, because I wanted to, because I wanted it, right? And that wanting is an emotional experience. I felt it in my heart. I was like, I want this handbag. And I had a handbag that I really liked, and it's kind of falling apart. And I want that feeling of that handbag that I had before. Okay, but why? Why do I want the handbag? It's it's on the simple level, we say, yes, I want it. It's a feeling of wanting, of desire. But where is that feeling coming from? So the truth is, it's actually coming from intellect. There's some intellectual component behind that desire, right? So in my case, uh, I need a bag that's big enough to help me carry my things around. I want something that is uh, pretty, that's attractive, you know, that's important to me. I'm very aesthetically conscious. So these things, there's, there's, there's a reasoning behind my desire. So there's sort of like this interplay between my mind and between my heart that causes, first of all, the desire to become manifest and then to actually bring the desire into fruition. And then there's the buying of the handbag itself. So there's many different components here and they're all happening between in, within me. And so this is where it gets really interesting is that the internal aspect of what's going on and how different different uh, aspects of, our, of ourselves are at play when we want things and uh, and they're all happening on an internal internal level and different parts of ourselves are subservient to other parts of ourselves. So this might sound really confusing and I'm realizing as I'm, I'm saying it that it kind of might sound a bit confusing. So I think to best explain what it is that I'm talking about, I think now is a good time to delve right into the text and we'll explore this a little bit more as we go and think about, you know, to help what can be helpful, I find in understanding these kind of things is your own personal examples of what is it that you want? What's a purchase that you made recently that came from a place of desire that uh, that you wanted it and why is it that you wanted it? But so now let's get into the text and see how the ultra about breaks all of this down. And for context, again, we are going to be learning the second half of chapter 20 of Lukatea Marum. And so the Altreba begins, and he says that we're going, going to uh, bring a mashal, and he, that in Hebrew that means a parable, to understand this whole process that we've been talking about of how it is that God creates things without being changed by his creation, and at the same time, how his created things are really considered to be not in nothingness in comparison to him. So the example that the Altreba gives in terms of a person is 
looking at speech. So when a person says something, so let's take an example. So let's say I say the word something, right? That word something. So this word something that I'm saying is like in comparison to my soul, in comparison to who I am, is really very uh, insignificant if you think about it, right? Especially if you think about it in terms of like my speaking soul, like my capacity for speech. So, and uh, and again, if you look at it in terms of soul garments, remember we talked about the garments of the soul, there's thought, speech, and action. So speech is considered to be the middle garment. And this middle garment of speech has the capacity to speak an infinite number of things. Like I have the ab- ability to speak an infinite number of words, an infinite number of phrases, an infinite number of languages if I wanted to in an infinite number of ways. I could learn different accents. I could learn um, made up words. I could I could speak made up words, all kinds of different things like that, right? And I choose to say that word something. So that word something is like, it's less even than a drop in the ocean in comparison to what I could speak. It's like, it's, it's compared to infinity, the infinite amount of things that I could speak. It really is like nothing. And now, if this is the case with speech, then uh, all the more so is this the case when it comes to thought, which thought is, again, another garment of the soul, but it's and it's the most internal of all the garments of the soul. And this is actually where our speech comes from. Like, how do I choose what words to speak? I think about them, right? Like, before I say the word something, there's a part in my brain that triggers that word, and that's how it manifests into speech. So speech always originates in thought. And so it's sort of like in this um, chain chain of events situation. So it's like, so we have the speech preceding that we have the thought and preceding the thought. What comes before the thought? What Where does the thought originate from? It originates in the soul. It originates in a person's soul, which is made up, as we explained, of 10 aspects that we've spoken about before. The 10 spheres, right? Chochma binadas. Chesed Vertiferet, Netzach Hodisod, and Malchus. And um, and from these, this, our soul, this is where the letters of our, of our thought comes from that eventually come into, become manifest into speech. So it's like, so how is it basically that I can think about the word something to be able to say the word something? It's because my soul has the capacity to bring about these letters into my thought, which eventually translates into speech. And now the altar rabbi gets pretty technical here where he basically explains how in thought, you know, we don't usually think about thought as constituting uh, letters, but it really does. It's like when we think, we think in phrases, we think in words, but it's just a little bit more refined and a little bit more like sublime than, you know, physical speech, physical letters are. But the source of this thought, which again comes from the soul, from these different aspects of the soul, these different spheres of the soul, don't actually have letters in it. So it's sort of like pre-verbal, like pre, not only pre-verbal in a, in a verbal manifest sense, but pre-verbal in terms of thought, like pre-thought, pre-consciousness, we can say. So as an example, says the ultra rabbit, when a person, uh, when when a person, a certain love and desire falls upon a person. So it's interesting when person, we say like somebody falls in love, right? So it's, this is the phraseology that the altar rabbit uses here, that if somebody falls into some kind of love or desire, then in that moment, when the person, you know, experiences this love, this desire towards something, I want to buy a car, I want to buy a new uh, handbag, you know, whatever it is, then it doesn't have, there's no letters. It's not, it's not like a, 
you know, it's not articulate. We're not like articulating these things. It's just a feeling. It's a feeling. It's it's like a very simple desire that we have that we want this thing. We just want it, right? It's very simple. And now the ultra rabbit takes us back even further than this. You know, where does this desire originate from? Where does this want for the thing come from? This comes from the mind, actually. Interestingly enough, it comes from the power of our chokhmah and our knowledge of the thing. Like, why do we want certain things? Why do I want that particular handbag? Because there's something there's something that I'm connected to with that handbag, like that I associate it with something. I, I understand what it is. I know what a handbag is. I know that a handbag holds things. I know what is stylish, you know, different things like that. If you want a car, it's because there's a part of you that understands what a car is. Like it's, it's pre-verbal, but it, it, there is a sense of knowledge about carness, um, or handbagness, right? And, um, and so this knowledge of the thing can, is what causes us to desire it. So also like in, in terms of food, the ultra gives an example of food. Like you see chocolate, you know, why, why it, I really like chocolate. If I see chocolate, why do I want that chocolate? Because I know what chocolate is. I know what chocolate tastes like. If I had never had chocolate before, I wouldn't want the chocolate, but I only want the chocolate because I recognize it. I, I associate it with good and pleasant feelings. And so there's sort of like this, um, again, it's getting very technical. It's like this chain reaction of, of what happens is that first, let's use the example of chocolate. I see the chocolate. I'm like, oh, chocolate. I recognize it. I know what it is. And then I have this feeling of, I want the chocolate. So it's, so the, the sense originates in my mind where there's a, an intellectual recognition of the chocolate, then it falls into my heart. And then the interesting th thing is it goes back up to my brain where now I start to scheme. I start to think about how can I get this chocolate? Is it my chocolate? Is it a chocolate I have to buy in the store? Is it my friend's chocolate that I need to ask if I can have some? Or is it my chocolate? How am I going to go about getting this chocolate? So then it becomes a thought out process that actually does have uh, letters in it in the mind. And um, these letters that are found within the mind that are generated within a person's mind um, are very specific to a person's natal language, to their, to their native tongue. So right? Like Israelis think in Hebrew, uh, Americans think in English for the most part, like every nationality thinks in its own language. It's a pretty commonsensical thing, but the ultra really explains it here to really explain how these letters work. So that's the end of the section for today. So it's pretty interesting. And again, it's, you know, this, it's, it's a very personal kind of uh, section today. It's like the ultra is giving us this example of the state of humanity of our lives, how this process happens when we want something. So, and the, again, the reason why he's, he's going through this whole thing with us is to give us a little bit of a sense of God and a little bit of the, a sense of how it is that God operates and how it is that in God creating worlds, First thing to know is he doesn't change through this creation of the world. He remains constant and the same. And the second thing to know is that by virtue of him remaining constant and the same, the reason why he's able to remain constant and unchanging is because in fact, all of these created beings are nothing in comparison to him. And so again, while we can't fully, fully grasp this on one level, the way we can kind of understand this is in terms of our uh, generation of letters of thought and speech and the relationship of those letters of thought and speech 
to ourselves and to our ultimate being, which is an interesting parable. And the altar is going to talk about this later on, but not to get too off track, because in fact, we see that how is it that God created the world is actually through speech. He, he spoke the world into creation. So in fact, speech is a very, very good parable to use to help us understand how this works. And again, the altar got into this in a very technical kind of way to really help us understand how it is that we as humans bring about a, where does a desire come from within us and how do we bring about that desire? So, and we know again that God, uh, why does he create the world? Because he wanted to. There's this principle in Chesedes that uh, it's, it's actually comes from the Midrash. We say that God desired to have a dwelling place in the lower realm. So we are a manifest realization of God's desire. And so again, to understand the way desire is generated and the way desire is manifest is again, we can look at it within ourselves. So the ultra bit described that first, that in terms of generation of desire and then um, the manifestation of desire, step one is there, why do we want what we want? Because there's an, an intellectual recognition of that thing, which comes from our soul, which comes from the spheres of our soul, which are pre-verbal. They do not have letters in them, but they are gener- they are within our minds. So there's, you know, again, when it comes to chocolate, for example, it's like we there's a recognition, oh, that's chocolate. I know I like chocolate. I like that taste. I've had it before, right? And then that falls into our heart. And then in it falling into our heart where we actually have this feeling of craving of chocolate and wanting the chocolate, then it goes back up into the mind uh, where we start to plan and we start to think about how to get that chocolate. And that is manifest in letters in the mind and letters of thought. And those letters of thought will then eventually be translated into letters of speech, which will cause us to actually get the chocolate. So that we'll say like, oh, hey, you know, um, if it's our friend's chocolate, uh, can I have a piece of your chocolate? If it's chocolate we see in the store, we say, how much does this chocolate cost? And we buy that chocolate. But the, but the biggest thing to keep it that like to tie it all together and to bring it back to the parable of what it is that we're talking about here is that in speaking those words, whether we're talking about it on a, um, a thought level or in an actual speech level of, I want that chocolate. I, this is how I'm going to get that chocolate. Then in comparison to ourselves, that speech is nothing. It's like we, yes, we said, I want that chocolate. We could have said a million other things. We could have said an infinite number of other things in an infinite number of languages. So the speech itself is really nothing in comparison to who we are. And thus our power of speech and our essential souls from which this power of speech comes from is really constant and unchanging as a result of our speech. Like we don't, we don't change because we said, I want chocolate. Our speech doesn't change. Our capacity to speech doesn't change. So that can give us a little bit of a semblance of how it is that God, the process of creation for God happens um, and why it is that God remains so unchanging and constant in his process of creation and how all of creation is considered as if not a nothing in comparison to him. So that's it for today and we will continue tomorrow when we begin a new chapter and I will speak to you then. Thanks for listening to the It Is Top podcast hosted by Sarit Switzer. This podcast is dedicated in loving memory of my maternal grandfather, Abraham Yitzhak ben Binyamin Cohen of Blessed Memory. Music by Shoshana. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to support the show, please share it with others and subscribe on YouTube, Apple iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And make sure to leave us a five-star review. To find out more about the It Is Top project, including more information on my soon-to-be-published book, please visit our website, itistaught.com. To catch the latest from me, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. 
Looking forward to speaking with you tomorrow. And until then, have a great day.